In this week's episode, I'm joined by Tom Garrity, founder of PsychSafety.com. This week, our conversation is about mental health in the workplace, Dictionary.com's inclusive language, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Tom, will you please introduce yourself? Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Bernadette. Yeah, um, yeah so hi. Hi, everyone. My name's Tom, Tom Garrity. I'm the founder of psychsafety.com and well I'm a I'm a professional psychological safety geek. My background actually is in e- ecology, ecological research and then I had a, a a career in technology becoming managing technology teams, engineering teams, software development teams, eventually becoming CIO and CTO and through that journey became really passionate about and interested in psychological safety and high performing teams and through that now I'm doing what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, our mission is to make the world of work a, a safer, high-performing, more equitable and inclusive space. Love it, Tom. And for folks who are listening or watching, can you please define psychological safety? Yeah, it's a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns or mistakes. It's it's essentially a belief that, it, that the, the group that you're in is safe to take interpersonal risks in, whatever those interpersonal risks are. Yeah. And it happens at the team level, right? Not like the whole company. Yeah, so it happens at the team level, but of course, it can apply to any any group. So, sort of any 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 group of people where uh, n equals more than one. Um, so, if so, you can imagine it. It certainly applies at the team level, but of course, if you if you had a meeting or something where there are two teams in the meeting, then of course that's that's then you can define psychological safety as existing in that group that comprises two teams together. Sure. That makes sense. Great. Well, you know, in this week's episode or newsletter, I wrote about building trust and a little bit about my own managerial journey towards creating a psychologically safe team. And I wrote about how I struggled for a while with giving clear, specific directions and examples of what success looked like. And in my mind, I was like, I I don't like to micromanage folks. I want to sort of let people do their thing, hire people I trust. But the reality is that without this kind of clear guidance, folks on my team, you know, they had self-doubt, they overthought things, they missed deadlines. And it's because I was showing up as kind of a bit of a know-it-all, right? I wasn't really creating space for showing my mistakes and my learning journey. And so other folks didn't feel like they could do the same with me. So can we talk a little bit about how to establish trust and psychological safety on teams? What does that look like in reality? Yeah, so that's, and that's a really good point because I, I had a very similar journey, really, and a, and a similar realization where um, 
to in in trying to be as inclusive and progressive and and as as cool a man like this is like maybe 15 years ago like in trying to be as cool a manager as possible and giving people all the autonomy i was far too vague and ambiguous in the things that actually mattered and i was really reticent to give targets or goals or things like that because that, that felt like micromanaging that felt like a bad thing to do but in fact you're absolutely right um groups where where the boundaries and norms are, are understood and explicit are, are, are psychologically safer spaces. We 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 can we, we trust each other more. We we can trust that we're doing the right thing because we know that you know if we do thing X, it leads to our mission. It, it contributes to our mission, our objective. If if we're ambiguous or, or 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 unclear about those things, or unclear about, say for example the 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 degree of of decision making that team members are allowed to make like what we're, what we're allowed to make decisions about and what we're not allowed to make decisions about those boundaries if we're unclear about those things it just leads to leads to stress and anxiety and ambiguity about what we're allowed to do which is which is quite freezing it's quite calcifying isn't it and so all of those things like all of that clarity that predictability psychological safety is so much about predictability in interpersonal contexts so much of that predictability builds trust. Trust that doing this is the right thing. Trust that if I do this, the response will be positive. Um, that sort of level of trust. So if you know someone who's listening is a manager and they're struggling with folks underperforming, what are some things that they could do besides clear boundaries and direction? What are some things they can do to foster a more psychologically safe team so yeah it's a good question because i think so here is where we can we can also make a, a distinction between practices and behaviors mm. so for example a practice might be let's create a team charter team charters are a practice and that's a really powerful way to to foster psychological safety because it helps set all those boundaries and expectations and clear goals and guidelines and all of that stuff on the other hand, we have behaviours, which are more about sort of the way we do things rather than the things. If practices are the things we do, behaviours are the way we do things. Mm. And so behaviours, behaviours arguably are, are, are somewhat more tricky and 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 elusive and and hard to nail down because because in some contexts, um, so active listening is 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 almost certainly an always good always a good thing to do. You really mm. put put energy and practice into listening well rather than just trying to say the right thing or anticipate what you're going to say next. Active listening. Another, but, but a tricky one, which, and one which I see quite often recommended to foster psychological safety is eye contact. And eye contact for many people is a really positive way to build rapport and psychological safety and build a connection between people. But for many people, eye contact, uh, for, for many people, particularly neurodiverse people, Eye contact can be really difficult, really challenging, really uh, intensive, uh, intense, and um, quite disturbing, quite very uncomfortable. So, this is where sort of the behaviors and things are really about getting to know people on our team and what works for them. Um, mm. There is no real one size fits all. There's a lot of work we can do around framing work and framing behaviors. But, um, yeah, uh, fundamentally, getting to know people better and what, and what works for them is, is kind of the powerful thing to do there, I think. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense because we're all individuals. So of course yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. So if there's one resource that you would want to direct folks to, to learn a little bit more, obviously besides psych safety 
com, which I love your site, by the way, but um, <laughs> yeah, and, and your newsletter. Where else would you direct folks to check out? I think, uh, yeah, so good show. So if if folks are into reading, if folks are into reading books, then then Amy Edmondson's The Fearless Organization is still the, the have you got it up there? I have it down there, yep. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. Yeah, so that's still, to me, the, you know, the go-to first yeah, first first step in in in, in finding out more and, and and learning a bit more about it from there it then becomes a little bit more context specific so there might be sure. things specific to various people's domains and industries but as a first step yeah amy's book the one to go to awesome all right great advice well let's get into this week's good vibes the first story comes from hollywood actress selma blair and renowned fashion designer isaac mizrahi are launching an accessible clothing collection with qvc called isaac mizrahi live times selma blair and this is an accessible clothing collection featuring things like easy open necklines magnetic closures stretch fabrics flat seams etc now selma blair has ms and so that's one of the reasons they multiple sclerosis so that's one of the reasons they collaborated on this collection i love it i love this too yeah i love this too i i so my my mum actually suffers from ms and so i i can i understand what it's like to have that uh, those mobility issues and those sort of fine motor issues and 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 things like that and and I think this is such a nice move. Um, what I'm really hoping is that this is this could lead into and will lead into more accessible clothing for for bigger I guess bigger brands and 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 more mm-hmm. um, more high profile brands and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's the goal. I mean, I've I've written about lots of accessible Halloween costumes for kids over the years, especially kids with neurodiversity or folks with disabilities, other disabilities. And so I think that, you know, this is just great seeing it, uh, seeing high fashion have uh, have this accessibility layer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Really nice step forward. All right. The next story comes from Indeed.com, which reports that over the last three years, the share of job postings that include include wage or salary information has doubled to 50%, which means that 50% of job postings include this information, which is a form of pay transparency. It benefits job seekers, benefits companies, recruiting efforts, especially for women and underrepresented folks who might not apply if they don't know, if they might not feel like they uh, are equipped to negotiate salaries. So this really goes a long way. Yeah, this, this really does go a long way. I, I find this really interesting. I, I also find this really interesting as a, as a transatlantic uh, difference because the EU, I can't remember when the directive was, was announced or implemented, but there's, a, there's an EU directive going to come in or going to come into effect in 2026, I believe, that will make it uh, mandatory to, to publish mm-hmm. um, uh, salaries and, and things on, on job adverts. And I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's beyond due really, you know, it's, it's about, it's about time. Um, I think it, it's fairly, it's fairly obvious that this sort of thing contributes to things like the gender pay gap and disadvantages folks like like you're saying from from marginalized communities but also just disadvantages folks from lower socioeconomic backgrounds who feel like they have less economic collateral to negotiate or maybe they're not even aware they can negotiate um so yeah so how, yeah but making this transparent is a, is a massive step forward hopefully it will become standard practice 
Yeah, here in the U.S., it's on a state-by-state basis, which does account for that big increase. So big states like New York now have this law in place now. But here uh, here in the U.S., very very few things happen federally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least of these types of things. So it's great that that's coming to the EU in the next few years. Yeah. All right. The third story this week comes from the Supreme Court of Mauritius, which has decriminalized gay sex, overturning a colonial era law. In doing so, the court noted that the law had been inherited from British colonial history and did not reflect indigenous Mauritian values. So great news. And yet there are still about 63 countries remaining that still criminalize gay sex. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's um that's a sad state of, of affairs in itself, isn't it? And you know, we you know we've got it, it does feel sometimes like we're making a few steps forward and then one step back, and we you know there are other countries that are criminalizing gay relationships and, and gay sex, mm-hmm. which which is which is just horrific. But um, but at least there are yeah, you know, I, I feel like there are more steps forward than there are backwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the long run there are, but I think it's also easy to forget that there will be steps backwards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have such a, a sense of urgency that it, and we have made a lot so much progress, but it's easy to forget that sort of in the arc of history there's always these regressions. There's always the uh the counterbalance. So it takes yeah. a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. And it's easy to also sort of compartmentalize some of this into sort of oh well, that's an African problem or something like that because because yeah. most of the countries that that that, that, that criminalise gay relationships are are in Africa but mm-hmm. but but we've still got we've got issues in Europe with in Eastern Europe in Poland and and such like and there are certainly issues or you know problems emerging I guess in in the USA <laughs> uh, for trans folks those problems are here especially mm-hmm. in in southern states. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in the UK, there's a lot of tr- anti-trans sentiment yeah. as well. So, yeah, sadly. Yes. All right. The fourth story this week comes from Dictionary.com, which has expanded its vocabulary to include terms such as diverse owned, CODA, which is children of deaf adults, box braids, and eight LGBTQ plus terms. They've also removed binary gender phrases and now employ gender neutral pronouns. So they may have said he or she before, and now they're saying they, or they're omitting pronouns. So the language is catching up, and uh, I think this is a great step forward. Yeah, I love this. And I, I particularly love the the normalization of, the, of using the, the, the word they as a, as a pronoun, because it, yeah. for, one, for one thing, it's just easier. Yeah, it's 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 easier than saying he or she, and mm-hmm. and it's more inclusive, and it, it, it makes absolute sense. Um, I also love some some of the other terms in here. I I I'll admit I didn't know what box braids were until until this this until I came across this word. But I think but that's one of the powers of of introducing these phrases into the dictionary, isn't it? That we we're all in our bubbles, in you know we try mm-hmm. and increase the size of our bubbles, and we try and expose ourselves to new things. But uh, but there are it, it, stuff like this makes it makes it easier to to encounter new phrases, new new um, cultures to us at least. Yeah, and it normalizes the conversation around these terms, yeah. and it validates these lived experiences. So I think the some of the LGBTQ terms might be uh, asexual, aromantic. Some of those uh, LGBTQIA plus terms. So some of you know, yeah. but for folks who are are identifying that way, this is a sense of validation. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. I also um I I I hadn't really heard the term coda before, apart from I'm aware of the there's a film called Coda, mm-hmm. which I think might be what raised its profile. Right. Exactly. That's a great film, by the way. Okay, the fifth story this week comes from Levi Strauss, which is taking a significant step forward by offering 17 professional mental health sessions annually to all of its global staff. So this is including frontline employees through Lyra Health. So 20,000 folks, including frontline employees, are getting access to this mental health benefit. And I just think that the more we talk about mental health as a dimension of diversity, the more we're going to have more folks invested in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, yeah, just like you say, that it, we, the more we normalize conversations about mental health, the more we normalize seeking help or, or, or therapy for your mental health. In fact, the more we normalize, mental health is health. It, mm-hmm. it just is. Um, so the more we normalize that, the better. The only thing that concerns me about things like this, and this is, I, I, I don't know if this is the case in this respect, but the, the only thing that concerns me is a potential to sort of individual responsibility eyes mental health in a way that you know companies might provide yoga classes and some free fruit and say, oh, we 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 prioritize our employees' wellness and and mental health because. We have a once a week yoga class that you're too busy to go to anyway. Sure. Um, so I, 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 I just hope that this doesn't act as a, um, this doesn't come instead of addressing systemic causes of, of, of burnout and anxiety and stress in the workplace. I agree. I, you know, I think for a lot of these stories, Tom, the, they're all a, a yes and. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. But or yes, <laughs> let's yeah, do more, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. And, and some of these, many of these stories, especially Mauritius, it's 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 an it's about time, yeah, or a finally. And so, ultimately, here on Five Things in Fifteen Minutes, we celebrate all of the progress, <laughs> even the little yeah. ones. Yeah, the little ones. How can folks uh, get in touch with you, Tom? Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if if anyone wants to get in touch, you can find me online at uh, tom at psychsafety.com. You can drop me an email for, for a conversation or a chat or to find out more. You can head over to psychsafety.com and find loads of resources and tools and downloads and loads and loads of articles. You can get involved in our community, our meetups, uh, sign up to our newsletter. There'll be other things I've forgotten about, but there's, yeah, there's loads of stuff there. So Stickers. Stickers. More stickers. Yes, we we released some new stickers today as well. So, yes, good good point, Bernadette. Yes, I have the Everything is an Experiment sticker on my laptop. All right, folks, uh, thank you so much for joining me, Tom. And this week's call to action is a LinkedIn post that we'll, we'll put in the show notes um, from Bo Young Lee. And the title is Using DEI Tools to Support Your Employees in Navigating Current Events because... You know, we talk about good vibes here on the show, but it can be hard when there is war in the world, when there is violence. So I want to acknowledge that, you know, whether it's violence directly among your loved ones, wishing you hope. Uh, So, all right. On that note, hope you have a great week. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? 
And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI 